Hi, I'm Sibley Fleming, and this is Hometown Yoga, the podcast that features real people in the yoga community sharing conversations of insight and hope. In this episode, we're joined by seasoned yoga practitioner, Kurt Mann. Welcome, Kurt. Hey. <laughs> Would you mind self-introducing yourself and tell us how long you've been practicing yoga and how you got your start? Uh, Kurt uh, Mann, from, originally from Kentucky, but been here in Atlanta long enough to have my green card. And uh, I have uh, a wife, Christine, and two lovely children that are both in California in school. And uh, my wife is currently in Africa, actually, pursuing her uh, safari dream on a company that she had some time ago. So uh, I was in Druid Hills, or a family was living in Druid Hills, and I was riding my son Rivers to school every day, which was the neighborhood charter school in Grand Park. And we were going under the Croc Street Tunnel, and I saw this adorable little building with a sign on it that said Nirvana Yoga. And I thought, gosh, that doesn't look very intimidating at all. Because yoga, I think most people would say, is quite intimidating. And so my journey with yoga started with somebody giving me a DVD of, I think, like Rodney Yee. Mm. And it was pretty chilled out. It was, you know, it was it was enjoyable. I could do it in the, my living room. And you know, no one else around and wouldn't feel intimidated. And then we were at someone's house one night sitting around the fire and they talked about Baron Baptiste and had a book and they gave it to me and I got one of his DVDs and I liked his vibe even more, a little bit more active, more of a vinyasa flow and um, just really fell in love with that. And then I saw this Nirvana yoga and I thought, gosh, that, doesn't look like Hollywood yoga. Doesn't look very intimidating. So <laughs> I, you know, figured out when their class was. I remember the first class I took was 10 a.m. It was not Leanne, the owner of the studio. And, Leanne uh, Neal. Yeah, Leanne Neal. Yeah, and um, it was just magnificent. You know, the vibe. This the, this young lady had Leanne's vibe. And my next class was with Leanne and just fell in love with it and just kept going back and then went to a few other studios but always came back to uh, Nirvana. And then we ended up moving from Druid Hills to Grant Park. So at some point I could walk to the studio because they then needed more space and moved above Dakota Blue on Cherokee. And um, then in 2011... I wanted to deepen my practice, so I took teacher training. That, that, that's wild, because when you started your practice, there weren't very many men. I guess there still aren't a, a ton of men relative to women, but when you began, you were the only guy in the room a lot of times? Well, that's probably the beautiful little secret, is that it is predominantly women, but... You know, I was uh, had all sisters growing up, and I actually preferred the company of females. So, you know, if it was a choice of going saltwater fishing with ten guys or making dinner for ten women, I'd probably be cooking. You know, <laughs> and deep sea fishing. 
but uh, you know, you do see more guys, and you know, and I'm sure they, when they first see me, I'd probably look more natural on a golf course versus a yoga studio. But mm-hmm. you know, I've been doing it uh, for over 15 years, you know, and it's something I'll do the rest of my life. So, so what is your advice for uh, wannabe guy, yogi guys um, who might be shy about entering a room full of women? I would do, I would tell them to, you know, because you can go online and they'll tell you this is a level one, two, three, and do an intro level and go, go, you know, hit the back row and watch everybody else and listen to the teacher and, and you'll find teachers that you resonate with and some teachers that maybe you don't as much, right? But mm-hmm. often I go to class and and we'll do poses that are not necessarily my favorite, but it's my opinion that it's something that I obviously need at that time. Mm, like dragon. Like dragon pose. <laughs> Which was this morning in the back row. Right. Um, so, you, but you have... Uh, you, you've actually talked yoga up to some of your guy friends, and, and yeah, yeah. So I, uh, so I've, I've, I've brought my buddies there, and the way I sold them is say, hey, this will improve your tennis, your basketball, whatever, which is true because you are hearing, you know, professional athletes that do yoga for, you know, endurance and flexibility, and so that that, that seems to resonate with some guys, and they're often surprised by some of the poses that. I can do just because I've been doing it for so long. Any, any, um, any uh, converts who it stuck with? Anybody you introduced it to who just kept coming back? Um, you know, I know that there have been some, and then something will change with their either they've had to move or something changed with their lifestyle that they were not able to come as often. But Saturday morning was probably some years ago, Saturday morning class that you and I go to with Leanne. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's often, you know, there were many people that would come, you know, religiously there. Like this morning, I did take a count because I knew we were going to do this interview. I was the only guy in there, which I think is unusual, quite frankly. Ah. Because there are at least maybe one, two, or three, or four of the guys. And I've been to class where it's as many as half guys were, you know, I kind of smiled at myself that it's getting out there that, you know, people are not as intimidated by it. So that's nice. So you were the one guy in a room of probably 30 women this right. morning. Right. Wow. How lucky am I? <laughs> so um, I've been to a number of classes where your family comes to support you. I think most recently – um, your nephew came when he was yeah. visiting from out of town, but your wife and your kids, when they're home from college, um, come to support you. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, that relationship? Uh, you know, I used to take my kids when they were young and just put them in a corner with a coloring book or reading book or a stuffed animal and said, can you please be quiet while I do yoga? And they were great. So they've been in that you know, area and they understand it for many, many years. And it would not surprise me as they move forward in life that they'll continue some form of yoga. Now they do it now just to appease me because they'll say, you know, 
Dad, what do you want for your birthday? And my answer will often be, you got to go do yoga with me. That's the perfect <laughs> gift. <laughs> and, and, and I have this lovely little niece who's probably six. Uh, when she comes and spends a night, she'll say, Uncle Kurt, are we going to go do yoga? Oh, that's She precious. is adorable. Oh. Adorable. So sweet. So you're introducing um, yoga across the population. <laughs> exactly. That's my mission. <laughs> um, so how do phrases like self-care and self-love resonate with you as a guy? Um, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty sensitive guy. So to me, I think it's... Uh, you know, it's important to re regenerate and reflect. And, you know, to me, uh, you know, yoga is my church. It's where I go to pray, to refuel, to, you know, reignite. It's, uh, you know, move your body. And it's, you know, to me, it's religious, really. It's um, if I'm having a difficult day or I need something more out of my day or my life, yoga is really just a wonderful sanctuary for me. And and so I, I think recently you also changed your your diet to a plant based uh, yeah, diet. Yeah, so I was watching a couple of uh, documentaries. The most recent of which is called Game Changers, and it's produced by James Cameron, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Novak Djokovic, the you know phenomenal tennis player. And it's really resonated with me because you read books like Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma and his, his, his advice is eat more plants, less okay. meat. And so the game changers takes a little further and, you know, you see these elite athletes that say, Hey, we don't really need that much protein. And what we get from vegetables is plenty. And guess what? It's, it's also good for the earth. So if one person cut out one meat meal a week, they would save the earth over 200,000 gallons of water a year because it takes that much resources to raise meat. And they did some DNA testing of some Incredible. Roman gladiators and they were mostly plant-based. That is totally unexpected. Fascinating. Right? Fascinating. Fascinating. And, and this, this lady, 39 year old lady was a cyclist in the Olympics. And I believe she went back for her fourth Olympics and she widely credits her plant-based diet that just gave her this endurance. And for me, because I play a ton of, you know, pickleball over the weekend. And they said this in the documentary that my, that my recovery time is much quicker. So I'm not as sore as long. And then, you know, I, I go do weights and I was even doing uh, leg presses, reps of 20. And within two weeks I was doing reps of uh, 30 with 275. Wow, that that's certainly a, a testimony. And I, and I feel better. But yeah, you said something about f within forty eight hours, you noticed. I noticed a difference that because I think we started it on a Saturday, Sunday, and you know, and I probably played you know six hours of pickleball, and by Tuesday I was much less sore. Oh, that's great. And so, and it's also improved my yoga. I mean, I I feel stronger and yoga you know it's a um there's a a, a cat in my lap <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> and, 
Hi, Rue. Rue wants to purr high. Um, so, of course, we know each other from the back row at um, Nirvana, but I did a little research on you prior to the interview, and a quick Google revealed that in um, 2007, there was you were caught in the middle of a fairly controversial story. You had a 45-foot-tall wind turbine that um, you and your wife erected at your historic home in Grant Park. Well, don't tell anybody it was actually 50 foot, but we couldn't redo the permit. <laughs> <laughs> Too late now. Too late now <laughs> so your neighbors weren't happy about it at all. You had um, national news media camped out in your uh, front yard. Can you talk about the experience and, and how it impacted you and your family. It was a, uh, it was a great lesson in how spin can, uh, you know, force one to uh, be extremely careful in what you say. And so this was just a series of misinformation. We had a home in Grant Park that we were renovating. It was a heavy renovation. We were also working on an eco village. And so we wanted to try anything and everything that we may try for this village. And so uh, my wife saw an ad in the back of a time magazine. We were on a flight somewhere and said, Hey, check this out. It was a wind turbine. You could put it in your backyard, pull it up yourself. And we thought, gosh, so I did some research, you know, evaluated the wind in this area. And, and uh, we knew, you know, uh, that it would probably be better off elsewhere or be better off at the time when Turner Field was there, that it'd be better off on second base with no, you know, stadium. And I learned a lot about wind is that it's created by the uneven heating of the Earth's surface. So bottom line, we knew that if it was a 30-year payback, okay, it's going to be inside of our mortgage. So we thought the offset of the reduced utilities would pay for it. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to try it. So we said, hey, let's move forward. And so... I uh, intentionally rode my bike down to City Hall to get the permit. They were super excited about it, and I got it in two visits. Mm. And when Grant Park did the historical overlay, they never intended, nor would I have thought to, you know, to to include. You can't do wind turbines. That was part of the original zoning, so they never thought to do any overlay with that. And the argument I had, as well, is hey. If you stand on your front porch and look out, how many transformers do you see in your front porch? At least two or three telephone poles, wires. And so we've just gotten numb to that. Mm -hmm. And so um, our neighbor at the time was selling their house and we shared it with everybody. It was like your firstborn child. You know, it was, uh, we were super proud of it, super thrilled about it. And, and, and uh, they claimed that someone backed out of that contract because they found out the wind turbine, this big secret was going up. And it was anything but a secret because we tell anybody and everybody. So mm -hmm. they also saw us take down a tree on a Saturday that we tried to save. We brought the arborist out and the arborist said, no, you can't save it. And in fact, you've got 30 days to take it down. It was so, you know, decrepit. So we had... Um, a guy came out Saturday because somebody we knew it was cheaper. So they just assumed we had a permit uh, that we took the tree down to make room for the wind turbine. 
Oh. So yeah. then uh, this one guy, who's not a very nice person, uh, got 10 people together for $1,000 a piece. They hired an attorney and they filed suit against the city for granting us a permit. And then you saw all these banners. Uh, trees, yes, towers, no. Oh, jeez. Yikes. Yikes. And so we ultimately went down to the city. Uh, there was a meeting and there was probably 200 neighbors there. And, um, and, and, you know, we took rivers cause he thought it'd be a great civics lesson for him. We had to hire an attorney <laughs> and to the city's wisdom, they said, you know, the man's did everything they should and they granted the permit. And then Christine and I were somewhere and the phone rings and they said, Hey, this is so-and-so with CNN. When do you think you're going to put up the turbine? And I said, well, maybe, you know, Tuesday. And so next thing I knew there were, you know, TV crews and everybody out there and it's like a barn raising. There were people that I'd never even met that heard about it. <laughs> and, and the guy that actually pulled it up with his truck, first time I met him. Amazing. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so cool. So everybody leaned in. Everybody was enthusiastic. It was very polarizing, as you might imagine. But then we went to a neighborhood meeting and tried to get the truth out. And then we had many people walk up in tears and said, we're so sorry that we were misinformed. So, um, and I think everybody's, you know, got a great sense of pride with it now. And anytime we had a photographer or camera crew come up, they would come to the front door, knock on the front door and say, can you tell me where it is? Because you can't even see it. Wow. That's that's an incredible story. And especially how it came full circle. It was really a, a positive project yeah, yeah, in the awesome. beginning. And it and, ended that way. And what we learned later is uh, it was one of two first urban wind turbines in the country. The other was in San Francisco. And the reason we didn't do solar is because we had too much shade. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. Good to know. So, um, almost just wrapping up here. Um, how has yoga changed you? What keeps you coming back? You know, uh, I'll use the word church again. I mean, it's, I think everybody needs, some sanctuary that they go to and I prefer to go into a studio. I, I love the vibe and, um, you know, I love the authenticity of the people that come there. And, uh, you know, it's like going to, you know, a prayer breakfast in the morning, you know, yeah. and you move your body and you, you know, I mean, they talk about how meditation is good for you. And this obviously has a lot of meditation in it. It's good for your, you know, breathing, and you know, it it it, it just grounds me really. It's such a beautiful uh, description of the practice. Yeah, Kurt, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. You have been playing the steel drum throughout, and it's something that you play at the end of Saturday morning class. Um, during Shavasana, which is corpse pose for any, that's how every yoga class ends. Um, would you mind taking us out? Sure. And I'll tell you this drum, uh, I heard it during an ayahuasca ceremony at the end of it. I went, holy cow. It was just so ethereal. And I said, where is this music coming from? And I tracked the guy down and, uh, this is called a Rav Bast, R-A-V-V-A-S-T. It's made in Russia. 
it's a steel drum. It looks shaped like a flying saucer. <laughs> and this one, uh, this particular one is 21 inches in diameter. It's similar to the hand pan. And I'm a, you know, a drumming hack. I mean, you know, I've played in bands, um, but you don't need to be a drummer to play this. I mean, a three-year-old could walk up and make beautiful music out of this, you know? And so I just, uh, you know, I chatted with him, looked online, and this is a Celtic D minor, and I can't tell you much more than that other than this. That's a D, and that's a D. And it's it's just beautiful, and it's not uncommon for Christina and I to lay in bed at night, and I'll just play this, and what a, what a great way to end the day. Right. It's it's like space music or yeah. heaven music, maybe. It is ethereal, no doubt. Yeah. Thank you. 